Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. Okay, so one of our foundational verses here you'll hear me talk about a lot. It's not our official verse of the church or anything, but it's one that has stood out to me, particularly as a pastor, uh, when I have a heart for every person that the Lord has to be a part of us. It's 2 Corinthians 11.3, and it's where Paul is sharing his heart and his concern with the Corinthian church that he started. And he says, "For I'm, he said, I'm afraid. This is the guy who was beaten and floated around the ocean for a few days and all those things. But he says, I'm afraid just as the serpent deceived Eve, that you would be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus. Paul is concerned that the Corinthian church, and probably any believer, could be led astray, could be deceived by the enemy, and something else would come in the place of their simplicity and their devotion, the simplicity of devotion to Jesus. And I'm going to just try and talk about something today That is one way that the enemy tries to get in to hinder and stop your simple devotion to Jesus, because that is what he's always trying to do. He hates your relationship with Jesus. So he wants to break that, shake that, change that, so that Jesus is not front and center in your life. And so we are to be aware of the schemes of the enemy, right, and how he works so that we don't give into it. It's great when there's light that shines on something, and we can then go, oh, okay, I see what that is. I'm not going to give into that thing. So that's a little bit of what I want to share today. And, uh, you know, life in general, it's full of twists and turns. As a follower of Jesus as well, you, you sign up to follow Jesus, and he changes everything, but that doesn't mean that life is easy. That means, actually, Jesus said, it's not going to be easy, you will be persecuted. You're going to be hated by everybody because of me, he said. So there's not going to be some uneasy things. And then there's going to be a lot of other things that happen, like people you really trust and love and look up to may fall. There will be all kind of things that, the, that will happen all along this path of life as we follow Jesus. And the enemy wants to take advantage of those difficult things and try and separate us from Jesus. But we're not going to have any of that, Right? We're not going to let those things separate us. Um, I've realized in my own life, I have, for a short time, was separated from the Lord. At least I felt that way entirely. And part of mine was, I would call, self-inflicted. Because I had some unmet expectations that I had set. And what I would say is I had idealism as well. Idealism is an evil thing. Because it's a false world where things just, that's not the world we're in. And so we can, as a believer sometimes, have an idealistic mindset of this is exactly how this is going to happen. This is exactly what God is going to do. And when things don't match up to that, it can disturb us and cause us to, to fall away. And I, I did that. I uh, had my own story with that. And I'll, I'll mention more about that later here. But we have also can learn... Through the disciples and through John the Baptist today, I want to mention these two group, really it's one group of people, 
Uh, and we can learn from them. The Bible says of itself that it's there for our example. Part of what people have gone through in the scriptures, these amazing stories, are for our example so that we can learn from what they did, how they did it, the mistakes they made, the great things they did, and we can either follow those examples or we can learn from them and go, I don't want to get tripped up by that same thing. And that's one reason, that's actually one of the reasons God says he's given us the scriptures. So we don't have to make some of the same mistakes that others have made. Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. I'm going to read this. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, and his instructions were to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, speaking of John the Baptist, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Jesus. He sent word by his disciples. He heard about what Jesus was doing, and he sent his disciples to go talk to Jesus. And they said to him, are you the expected one, or shall we look for somebody else? This is John the Baptist asking this question through his disciples. Are you the Messiah, or should we wait for somebody else? I know you're a good guy, but are you the one? Now, it seems kind of odd here because John the Baptist is an amazing character for him to, to doubt here. Jesus answered and said to him this, go and report to John what you hear and what you see. Blind people are receiving their sight. Lame people are walking. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. That's an amazing statement. Blessed is the person who doesn't take offense or get offended with me. Jesus is saying. You know, (laughs) we, I have certainly, been offended with how Jesus or does or doesn't do things at times. And that was the thing that Jesus is warning his disciples right here. Based on this example of John the Baptist, he says, blessed is everybody who doesn't get offended with how I do things. Because I'm going to do things different than how you think I should. Right? Expectations, these are tricky things. We get expectations. Every single person here, we get expectations. Expectations on our spouse, expectations on the church we go to, expectations on our government, expectations on the kingdom, expectations on God. This is how we think something should happen. And when it doesn't happen that way, there's an opportunity in that moment to get offended with that person or that church or that government or that organization or whatever based on the expectation that we place on them. That's how it works. It happens automatically. It happens on the inside of us. It's not like you're just trying to do it, but it just happens. And so there's always an opportunity to get offended. And an offended person, it's a dangerous place to stay offended, regardless of who it's with, because it hurts us, not the person we're offended with. It does something on the inside of us that we've got to make sure we we don't do that. I don't know that there's any greater cause for disbelief, 
people falling away from the faith or divorce or leaving a church or cause for offense than when expectations are not met. This is a huge topic. This is not a small one. I know it's not talked about really. But when expectations aren't met, think of the, the things that have happened from people you know and maybe your own life because of that. Divorce, leaving churches, all those kind of things. A lot of those things can happen because of an expectation that is unmet. So we got to pay attention to this. Many people have left God. I have some friends who've left the Lord entirely. One of them used to be a part of this church, a very good friend of mine. Because things didn't happen a certain way that he expected God to do, he's left God all the way. And my heart, I mean, it breaks thinking about this for him. And I don't want this for anybody. May we stay away from staying offended. Now, back to John the Baptist. Think about him for a moment. Jesus said, what of John the Baptist? He's the greatest person to ever live, right, or be born of woman. That's an incredible statement. But then, those who are in the kingdom, even the least of these are greater than John the Baptist. Pretty amazing. So, being regenerated and being born again, we can even become greater than John the Baptist. But Jesus is bragging on John the Baptist about how great he is. Now, here's some things that the Bible says that John himself prophesied about Jesus, the one he's questioning. Are you the one? In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, John said that Jesus would baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. There was John's prophecy about Jesus when the Messiah would be revealed. In Luke chapter 3, verse 16, Luke reports John the Baptist saying this, Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So he records that. And then in John chapter 1, verse 33, John is recorded as saying, I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. So he's already said those things, but then doubt comes in. Why? Because John prophesied he was going to be what? He's going to be baptizing people with the Holy Spirit and fire. He's got a winnowing fork in his hand. He is he's kicking butt and taking names, basically. <laughs> he's going to take care of some stuff. Then he's going to gather his wheat into the barn he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Dang, right? Wow. That's what he prophesies. But when he hears reports of what Jesus is actually doing, he's like full of compassion. He's healing people, setting people free, raising the dead, comforting people, saying things that were the exact opposite of what he prophesied. And this leads to this thing about timing. You know, you can hear something, have an imagination about something, even God speaking to us in a certain way, and when we attach a timing to that ourselves, we're in danger of being disappointed. John the Baptist did that. 
Everything that he heard and that he prophesied is true. But guess what? Here we are 2,000 years later, and some of this hasn't happened yet. When Jesus returns, he will, with the winnowing fork in his hand, taking people in, that are his people into the barn, other people are getting burned up. That is serious level later on. He did say in that same verse that he would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. He has done that, but not then. It was after John the Baptist died that that part was fulfilled. So John was seeing things about Jesus that were all true. He prophesied them. But he put timing in his heart with those words, thinking it's going to happen right now. And when it didn't happen right now, he wasn't sure. So he asked the question, are you the one or should we look for something else, for someone else? And you know what? I can do that too. I've done that. I've assumed things should happen a certain way by a certain time. And when they don't happen, boy, it's like a huge setup for disappointment. Have you ever, um, we talk about this when we talk about hearing God's voice as well, but have you ever been talking on the phone with someone that you've never seen in person before? You hear their voice or you're listening to the radio and you hear the DJ's voice or the person singing and your mind does something automatically without you even trying. It draws a picture. You have a painter inside of you, even if you're not an artist. There is an artist on the inside of you, part of your nature, and it draws pictures of things. You hear a voice on a phone and you get an image, every one of you do, of what this person is, looks like to some degree. The color of their hair or maybe their shape or if they're black or white or Indian or something, you just, whoop, there's this image that comes in your head. And then have you ever met the person that you've only heard their voice, then you meet them in real life. And you go, hmm. <laughs> because 99.99% of the time, guess what? The reality doesn't match the image that you have in your head. The reality doesn't match the image you have in your head. It's so weird. In fact, it's rare. I've had this happen recently once that I can think of where I had an idea of what this guy looked like. He's the guy who does my, the Bible reading, my New American Standard Bible. I had an idea of what, and when I, I looked him up, it was actually close. It was like the first time. I thought, oh my goodness, that's amazing. Because <laughs> every other time I've ever done that, it's never been close. So if that happens in the natural, if that happens in the natural, what about God speaking to us or him giving you a word about something, or you having a dream or an idea about something that God inspired and put inside of you. Our painter goes to work. And it creates this idea of just what it's gonna look like and how it's gonna be and the multitudes of people and all of those things. And guess what? Usually doesn't turn out that way. But if I know that ahead of time, then I can go, okay, okay. Let me, God, you gave this to me, but what you didn't give me was exactly how this is going to turn out and work out and exactly what it's going to look like. If I can do that, make that adjustment right there. Not saying it's not God. It is. 
but I'm not going to set my expectation and create an image that I'm following. And waiting for the image of how that's going to be exactly, that's not the thing I'm leaning into, looking for, setting my hope on. Right? I'm keeping my hope set on Jesus. You know, the Pharisees, you guys know the Pharisees, these guys were serious. I mean, they basically memorized the Bible. By the time they're 13, they memorized the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Have you done that? No. <laughs> Me either. These guys are serious. They're, 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 I mean, they've got the Bible memorized. They've got phylacteries. They've got, you know, all these leather things around their arm with this box with the Word of God on the inside. Some of them stick it on their melon. They're walking around with their flowing robes. They're doing their prayers every day. They are serious stuff. And they are praying for and waiting for the Messiah. But guess what? They've got a painter too. And this painter on the inside of them said, he's going to look like you. So when the, the Messiah shows up, the Messiah is walking around, God in flesh, they missed him entirely. He didn't do things like they thought the Messiah would do. He didn't behave like they thought a Messiah would behave. So they not only rejected him, but they came, became his enemy. They crucified him. The ones who had the word of God on the inside more than anybody else were the very ones who missed the Messiah and actually killed him and became his enemy. Think about that. That's crazy to think about. But it shows you the power in one sense of being deceived and also having images in our mind that we're following more than the reality of who Jesus is and what he's really doing and the forms in which he may take to speak to us or to lead us. But we have to keep our eyes on him. Sometimes you might, if, let's say you're a person and you have a calling to evangelism and someone gives you a word and they see you as an evangelist and your painter goes to town and you see yourself in stadiums with hundreds of thousands of people and millions on TV watching you. <laughs> That's your painter. Guess what? That may happen, but I doubt it. I doubt it will happen that way. It may be millions of people, but 100 at a time, 500 at a time, one at a time. Who knows? But if the painter goes in there and starts working away, the reality to the word you've received and creates an image that you are following, that's a danger. Want to wait for God to work it out. The Apostle Paul, man, he was able to navigate this thing, this very thing. Here's what he said. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, any and every circumstance, I love that. I've learned the secret to being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Here's the secret. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's keeping his eyes on Jesus. And circumstances 
aren't letting him know that God has let him down or others have let him down or when people are slinging stones at him, rocks. He's not misinterpreting that as God has left me or I've done something wrong or oh my goodness, God, what about this calling of the apostle you gave me? There's supposed to be people loving me, not throwing rocks at me. He didn't have any of that because he kept his eyes on Jesus. Kept his eyes on Jesus so that in any and every circumstance, that'd be a good one to write down, in any and every circumstance, he had the secret. I can do all things through Christ in me. He's doing something to me that I can't see. He's using me in ways I don't have figured out. I'm not letting the painter dictate whether it's a good day or not whether God's happy with me or not. In Exodus chapter 20, verse four, one of the commandments, one of the 10 commandments, they're found in Exodus 20. Here's one of them. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Don't worship something that you've made, in other words. Another word for image is picture. It's interesting. Maybe we don't struggle with idols that are man-made out of gold and silver and bronze or whatever anymore, but sometimes we can struggle with images we've created in our minds of how things should be and how things should work and how things are going to turn out. Got it all figured out. We cannot worship that thing. We got to throw them away. We have to throw those away. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Man, he's got this figured out. I'm going to go where he goes. And if the circumstances seem weird, that must, that's his business. But let me keep following him and not get offended because it didn't happen the way that I thought it should. I have a friend who experienced God powerfully in his college years in a powerful way. They had college groups. The presence of God was there. People were getting saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit, falling out, their lives changed, drug, drug addictions flying away, and this sense of community was powerful. And all the years from that time to now, as far as I know, he's been looking for that same feel and experience that he had in college in that ministry. But life has brought him different experiences. Different things have happened. Different people. Different presence of the Lord, in a sense. And so he has withheld himself from plugging in and being a part of anything until it feels like it did back then. So here we are 35 years later. Letting an image of something in his mind, which was an experience that he had, get set up as this is how it's supposed to be. And when it's that, oh, yeah, that's kingdom. But missing out on 35 years of serving in a body, of being connected with other believers, and figuring out what is God doing now. Being a part of what God is doing now in this moment. You know, God does things differently every time. The way he did something once may never come back around again. Because he's, he does everything uniquely, just like the way he makes us. Uniquely, so we can't set up something, an image of something, a memory of something in our mind, and we're waiting for that, or only 
following it if it's like that. After a few years with Jesus, seeing God use them personally, seeing things they never imagined were going to happen, bread get multiplied, people raised from the dead, the disciples saw a lot of incredible stuff. But then at some point, that switched. And they started this conversation, not only this amazing things they're seeing, they start arguing which one of them is the greatest. Remember that? What a switch. From Jesus being the most amazing to, I wonder which one of us is, you know. Peter's like, well, I walked on water. I can match that. <laughs> I don't know if that was part of the conversation. I'm speculating on that one. But they're vying for, for position. And during this process, as they're watching Jesus do these things, and they're doing things, an image formed in the disciples' minds of what this was going to look like in the days ahead. In fact, they start asking. Even the mom of James and John says to Jesus, you know, when you come into your kingdom, can I have one son on your left and one son on your right? They were imagining they are ruling with Jesus in Israel quickly. I mean, he's, he's multiplying bread for thousands. What is this going to look like? We're going we're to be leading this nation. This is going to be awesome. That image is in their minds. The scripture tells us that. But then things start to happen that are different than they imagined. Jesus starts speaking to them about his impending death. Now, that doesn't fit the picture at all. Like, what are you talking about? It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. What did Peter do? Verse 22, Peter took him aside. Jesus says, I am going to suffer and I'm going to die. And Peter says, excuse me. Takes him aside. He says, Jesus, an ixnay on that stuff. There's no death happening here. I'm going to protect you. We need you. Stop that. But then it says, what does Jesus do when Peter takes him aside? Don't take the Lord aside, by the way, and try and tell him how it's supposed to be. There's, a, there's another lesson that just popped up here, okay? He said, this will never happen to you. Verse 23, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Hello. You are a stumbling block to me. So he's speaking to Satan, not necessarily to Peter in one sense. But the Satan that was influencing Peter, Jesus is speaking to and says, get behind me, you're a stumbling block to me. For you, this is a great one to underline, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. See, this is an issue. Man's interests, my interest, are not always aligned with God's interest. Peter's weren't at this moment. My interest can create an image of how things should be. God's interests don't do that. Matthew 16, 21 through 23. I'm sorry, that's what we just read. Um, Matthew 10, excuse me, 20, verse 28 says this, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 
The calling of Jesus was to serve and to die. It's what he came to do, to give his life a ransom for many. When I had my little episode where I fell away from the Lord for a few days, that was the crux of it for me. I had been in a country where I saw God move in power. I saw demons get kicked out. I saw miracles. I was used in many ways. I was an elder at 22 years old of a church that had 600 church plants. I was traveling around the island. I'm speaking. I was leading the Sunday evening service for the church. Just a young guy. Seeing all these things happen. And then I get sent back to the United States. I got back in the U.S. And I've got all, you know what? These things started forming. The painter's going to town. What's going to be like when I get back to the States? I get back. I join this church. No one recognizes my gifting. I'm looking for a place to serve, and I'm thinking I should be speaking. And the pastor shows me that there's a spot on the, interne- on the intercession team with a bunch of women. <laughs> Fiery, great women. But that's not what I was wanting. That's not the image that I had in my mind. And there came a point where this, he pro- the pastor prophesied over me, and oh boy, I felt pitiful to me. And I just thought, God, what is going on? I've done all this for you. I've been at all these places. I've given all this. I've done all this. And this is the way that you're going to treat me? This is, this is the future I have? And I started to go backwards. And I, I can't really explain it, but maybe a little bit like what these guys did. I just... I just like fell away. I felt like God left me. I felt like I separated myself from him and I was just angry at him. And I was yelling at him through my sunroof. I was. And then three days later, moping around, the Lord asked me a question. And he said, Matt, if my calling for your life was to wash toilets, Would you do it for me? Would you do it for me? Was this personal? Not that that was my calling, but he's asking, if this was what I wanted you to do, I made you. If this is what I made you to do, would you do it for me? And it messed me up because my answer was no. I'm more thinking about me and what I want to do, I, I, Jesus got right to the core of the image that I had created in my mind. And it was all about Matt's interest and not Jesus' interest. When my interests are at the heart and the core, get ready for disappointment. You know, at the very end, at the very end of time, we're going to be with Jesus. How about that? And he's going to say, something to each one of you. He's going to say something to me. And it's either going to be, well done, my good and faithful servant. You did what I asked you to do, what I created you to do, what I made you to do. Or other people aren't going to hear that. It's that you did what you wanted to do. You lived to yourself. You lived to your own thoughts and whatever, but it wasn't about me. I don't want to be in that category. It needs to be about him, his plan for my life, his purpose for my life, doing 
what is pleasing to him, not what's pleasing to me. And that's, we have that from the scriptures, right? Jesus said this, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, he added that word daily in there, and follow me. Not a one time taking up the cross. Every single day if we're going to follow him, that death, like this, it's like doing this every day. I'm dying to myself, but I'm rising back up. I'm going to say yes to you, Jesus. I'm going to follow you in whatever, whatever it looks like. We get to do that every single day. And our self-interest and our flesh, though we put them to death, we have to do it daily because they come back to life. They do. You ever bought trick candles for somebody's birthday? <laughs> put them on the cake. They blow them out. Whew, here they come again. It's just like our carnal nature and our self-interest. It just wants to... Every day. So that's why Jesus said, if you're going to come after me, you have to take up your cross daily. Die to your self-interest. Choose my interests over yours. Hebrews 12, first two verses says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, all these people have gone before us, surrounding us, let us also, lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, our race. How do we run this race? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is how Jesus was not hurt by any person that fell away from him, anyone that accused him, anyone that said horrible things about him or quit following him. All those went away. And John chapter 6 said many left him. They went away. Jesus wasn't hurt by any of that because his eyes weren't on acceptance from other people. His eyes were on his father in doing his will. And when my eyes are on Jesus... Following him, I'm not going to be thrown off when people don't accept me. Or if they leave the church or whatever it is, those shouldn't throw me off. And they shouldn't throw any of us off because our eyes are on him. I'm going to follow him. You're going to follow him. And then he's going to work everything out. Back to Peter for a second. Luke 22, verse 31 Remember Jesus saying to Peter, he says, Simon, Simon. He called him his pre-Jesus name, by the way, here. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. How about that one when you see Jesus? Hey, good morning, Jesus. How's it going? Hey, Matt, Matt. Satan's demanded permission to sift you like wheat. How's that for a good morning, right? But I have prayed for you. But I've, in the night, I was praying for you. That your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, which means what? You're going to mess up. But when you've turned again back to me, 
Strengthen your brothers. You've got a job to do after you get back on track. Your purpose is not flushed when you mess up, and you're about to, but that's okay. Peter responds, Lord, sometimes Peter doesn't get it, and sometimes we don't either. Lord, with you, I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. I'm not going to mess up. Verse 34, and he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied me three times, denied three times that you know me. Peter, of course, did deny him. He did mess up. He wasn't there at the death of Jesus. When Jesus needed a friend the most, Peter wasn't there. He missed out on that. And he felt horrible. He turned again, for sure. In fact, it's pretty wonderful. The end of that story is that Peter not only makes a mistake, denies Jesus, but after Jesus is raised from the dead, and it says he had some bitter sorrow as well, but he says to the other fishermen, other disciples, he says, hey guys, I'm going back fishing. You wanna come with me? Several of them said, sure, let's go. So not only did he deny the Lord, but he left ministry and went back to do what he used to do and took others with him. So he wasn't in the best spot. He's back fishing, you remember the story? Jesus shows up on the bank of the sea, spots these guys out there fishing. He knows they haven't caught anything all night. He shouts out to them, hey, catch anything? And they said, no. He said, well, put your net on the other side of the boat. They've heard that before. And they did it. This huge catch. And John or Peter says, it's the Lord. I think John said, it's the Lord. Peter jumps in the water, gets over there soaking wet. Jesus got breakfast cooked for him. The very thing they could not catch, Jesus had over coals. Gives them something to eat. And he says to Peter, do you love me? Remember this? He asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter, he gets upset the last time. You know I love you. He kept telling him, feed my sheep. But the last thing he says to him is he says, the exact same invitation he gave to him three and a half years earlier. Follow me. In other words, Peter, don't create these ideas of how this is gonna turn out. Flush all that stuff. But will you do this simple thing? I'm giving you opportunity again. Keep your eyes on me. Will you follow me where I'm going? Keep your eyes on me. Don't go thinking about you sitting on a throne somewhere in Jerusalem. Right? Keep your eyes on me, and I'll take you places. We've got some stuff to do. And man, did Peter do it with Jesus beyond there. You read the book of Acts, it's like, wow. Peter had a reset opportunity. Jesus was so gracious to take all of his drawn pictures and help him flush them after he'd failed. And then said, hey, your, your purpose isn't done. Let's do this again. Come follow me. We're in good company, every single one of us. Because we will do these same type of things. Here's the other thing that's pretty neat. 
is that God himself, I'm reminded of this every time I get up early and watch the sunrise, or you watch the sunset, or you take a look at the stars at night, you realize our God is magnificent. Look what he makes. Look what he paints. He paints the best pictures that no one else could do. I can't paint the best pictures. He is the master painter. He's not just the master painter in the skies. He's the master painter of your life. And all the things that he has called for you and I to do, if we will keep our eyes on him rather than the image that we've painted, he's painting behind us the picture of his will fulfilled for our life and fitting into his master plan. And we'll get to see that one in heaven. That's the painting. That's the artwork. Is your life submitted to him, my life submitted to him, following him wherever he goes, and he paints in the end this masterpiece of us fulfilling the will and the calling and the purpose that he has for every single one of us. So we need to throw away, flush, get rid of these expectations that we put upon him that he's got to do things a certain way. Or the church has got to look just like this. Or I'm going to get treated just like this. And people are going to recognize this. And I'm going to be invited to that. And I'm going to be friends with that person. And my job's going to make this much money. And all, so many things. Flush them. Take the dreams and the words that God speaks to you. Dream big. Have a big faith. I'm not saying don't have faith. We have to. The just live by faith. But it's faith in him, not faith in my image coming about. Right? Then we can stay on track. Then, however it turns out, we go, oh, that's what you had in mind, Lord. I didn't realize it was going to be like this. Then we can have joy and laugh about it rather than cry and be offended. Because the things in this world and the people in this world will let us down. Unfortunately. Let's read that same scripture. I'll close with this. Same scripture, but in the Passion Translation. It's Hebrews 12, one through six. Listen to this. It says, as for us, we have all these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. Then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination. For the path has already been marked out before us. We look away from the natural realm and we focus our attention and expectation onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this. Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation. And now he sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider carefully how Jesus faced such intense opposition from sinners who opposed their own souls so that you won't become worn down and cave in under life's pressures. Don't be worn down or caved into life's pressures. After all, 
You've not yet reached the point of sweating blood in your opposition to sin. And have you forgotten his encouraging words spoken to you as his children? He said, my child, don't underestimate the value of the discipline and training of the Lord God or get depressed when he has to correct you. For if the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love and when he draws you to himself, it proves you are his delightful child. So we set our expectations on him. He never fails. We look at him and we throw away all the other images that we've held on to. Hang on to the words he's given to you, but let him figure out how it's, what it's going to look like. All right, I want to, um, I feel like there are some in here who have been discouraged, offended, wounded. Some feel like maybe got by God or others because of what I've just been talking about. Expectations that were dashed, unfulfilled, unmet. If that's you, could you stand up? Because I, uh, I want to pray for you. I don't want anybody to have wounds from unmet expectations going from here. We're going to ask God to cleanse that and to help us move forward, all right? You could kind of stretch out your hands toward those standing. Lord, we just want to say thank you for every single one of these amazing people, your children. Lord, thank you for the calling, the purpose, the plan that you have for their life. Thank you for what you've given them to do and that you have specific work just for them. That's your heart, your will. And it may have nothing to do necessarily with something they want. It may, but it may not. And Lord, I'm asking that in any and every way where they have been offended, where they've been let down, where there's a wound, where there's an offense, and if that offense has been done by the church, or leaders like me, Lord, I ask that you'd heal that offense, that you'd heal that wound, that you would pour your oil and wine into that wound and heal it by the blood of Jesus, even right now. Lord, I ask that the images in our minds and in their minds that hasn't been the image that you would want to give them, Lord, would you just replace it? Wash your minds clean and clear, and may you be the one that they set their eyes on, their heart on, their life on. And you're going to lead them to do everything that you have for them. Lord, ask for your healing touch in their hearts and minds. And if any of them are off track like Peter was for a while or like I was for a while, Lord, would you reset them right on your track again? Would you reset them right on the path that you have for them? Would you heal them up 100% all the way so they can follow you and fulfill your will just like Peter did. And that they haven't missed their calling. They have not been canceled by heaven. There's no throwaways. Lord, thank you. Lord, I ask for a fresh infilling of your spirit, a washing and regeneration, and hope that would grow on the inside of them in huge ways right now. In the name of Jesus. And Lord, the rest of us, and us collectively, we just even now place all of our hope on you. We place all of our sight on you. All of our vision on you. The one who fulfills. The one who is hope. 
And we thank you that you are helping us, Lord, that you would lead us. And would you keep us from being deceived by the enemy? Keep us from being offended by things we should not be offended at, particularly you, Lord. And may every one of us fulfill the calling and purpose that you have set for us in your wonderful, powerful, beautiful, holy name. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.